This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and with me today are two guests who have worked on an edited book for the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. That book uh, was also with Janine Remillard, and it's entitled Psychometric Methods in Mathematics Education, Opportunities, Challenges, and Interdisciplinary Collaborations. And the other two co-editors that I have with me here today are Andrew Ejak, who's from the University of Georgia. Andrew, thanks for being here again. Thank you, Sam. And Jonathan Templin, who's from the University of Kansas. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sam. So we're going to be talking about that book that's forthcoming from NCTM. Specifically, we're going to be focusing on Chapter 1 of the book, which was co-authored by um, Dr. Ejak and Dr. Templin. And that chapter is entitled, Coordinating Conceptualizations of Mathematical Knowledge with Psychometric Models. But first of all, Jonathan, uh, we know a little bit about Andrew's background because he's been on the podcast twice before. And in episode 1402, we found out that Andrew attended the University of California at Berkeley. But Jonathan, I was wondering if you could let us know, um, since this is your first time, where did you attend grad school and with whom did you work there? Oh, yeah, I went to grad school at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And uh, my doctoral program was in quantitative psychology, which was uh, kind of an interdisciplinary program where I also went have a uh, master's degree in statistics, and uh, my dissertation committee had people from education, people from psychology, and people from statistics all on board. Uh, My primary advisor was Jeffrey Douglas, uh, but I also worked with Bill Stout in the stat department and worked with psychometric models, and such as the ones that we talk about in this chapter. That leads me to my next question then. Um, So for myself and the listeners who might not be as familiar with psychometric models as you are. Can you just let us know the kind of basic gist of what is a psychometric model? Absolutely. We're all familiar with tests. You take a test and you get a score. <laughs> the psychometric model comes in between. It's the, the part that has a, it's a mathematical representation of the items of the test and how they combine to bring about a score. So oftentimes when you're taking a test, you simply look at the number of items that were answered correctly and you add them up. That is actually some, a, a very uh, basic type of psychometric model. But uh, as we go further along into psychometrics, we find not all items count the same, for instance. And so we have other models that will come in and uh, try to weight items differentially based on uh, how closely related they are to the trait and how accurate they happen to be. So the model themselves are, uh, this is a small, somewhat small field of people that run around thinking models all the time, but it's it, they're really... Uh, more esoteric representations of trying to trying to provide numbers that go with people's knowledge. Mm-hmm. So this book um, that you've edited together with Janine Remillard from NCTM is called Psychometric Methods in Mathematics Education. I was wondering what the genesis of this book was. So how did the book come about, and why is it important for the field at this point in time to be thinking about these psychometric methods? My... Um interest in psychometric models has its origins in uh, reading some of the LMT work on mathematical knowledge for teaching, a particularly early work that was published by Heather Hill and colleagues. Documenting with psychometric models, they were able to make connections, um, psychometric models and also a conceptualization of um, knowledge that counts in the practice of teaching. They were able to make connections between sort of what teachers know 
and students' performance on standardized tests, something that had been elusive for decades when researchers had done things like count university math courses um, and use that as a proxy for teacher knowledge. In some earlier projects, we had gotten in touch with uh, the Michigan group and um, got permission to use their measures for some of our own research at Georgia. And when we got the measures, you know, the actual items and we were studying them, we realized um, that the way we thought about teacher knowledge uh, was different from the ways um, that the Michigan group thought about teacher knowledge. And as a consequence of those differences, the whole way that we approach thinking about developing measures was different as well. So we saw the uh, promise or the potential uh, gains of using psychometric models from that Michigan work, but we also realized that we were going to have to sort of strike out on our own and build something different. And this has uh, led to a series of collaborations, first with Al Cohen, who is also a psychometrician at Georgia, and, and then uh, with Jonathan Templin. And that whole history um, is actually captured in that first chapter in the monograph that uh, carries, that sort of walks through um, a series of three models, um, starting with, with sort of the approach taken by Michigan and then um, some other approaches that, that we've pursued at Georgia. As we did this work, we became increasingly aware that there were a number of other projects around the country that were striking out on their own and building different kinds of measures. Um, a number of them were, were meeting with success in NSF competitions, and uh, it just seemed as though there was this sort of new kind of genre of research that was trying to harness psychometric models for research in math ed, and there weren't really avenues for people or venues for people to really have sort of substantive interactions about the opportunities and challenges. And we knew from our own work that harnessing these models was subtle and, and difficult. And so that motivated uh, writing a conference proposal to NSF to bring together various projects um, and invite sort of interested people uh, to, to talk about the intersection of psychometrics and math education. And out of that conference, several of the writing teams represented in the final monograph that they formed there. And then uh, Jonathan, Janine, and I uh, solicited other people around the country whose work we knew about to um, make some additional contributions to the monograph as well. And I will say that I am hoping to uh, feature a little bit more of the contents of this monograph by uh, hopefully, you know, finding an interview with some of the other author teams, um, because I do think there's quite a bit of work here that is interesting to share and that it's kind of this budding area of work. And so maybe there are others who don't know that they're interested in this yet, but they might if they hear some people talking about it. And in terms of talking about it, so I want to dig in now to chapter one, which is uh, coordinating conceptualizations of mathematical knowledge with psychometric models. So this chapter considers the relationships between what we know about mathematical knowledge and then how we can use and interpret psychometric models together with that knowledge and kind of the relationship between this sort of abstract idea of what are students or people's knowledge of math and then how does the model shed light on that. And many people, as Jonathan mentioned earlier, are very accustomed to tests and they're maybe accustomed to the models behind those tests where the key thing is that they give students a score on a continuum. So like, I took this test, I got a 73. You know, that means something, and maybe I know that it means I'm in a certain percentile, but it's kind of just this score, but there's all this complex mathematical knowledge that sort of went into that score. So one of the things that this chapter does is it tells us about some of the other ways that psychometricians can model knowledge and can model these latent variables. 
So I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that. What are some of these other possibilities that psychometricians are now figuring out about, you know, uncovering and representing latent variables? Absolutely. The first chapter uh, talks about several methods for different types of models. And again, the, the listeners can definitely take a look at the chapter, but just to kind of give a broad overview of what we're talking about, the score itself can be informative, but I think what really matters is that a lot of times in tests, that score doesn't really represent a lot. Uh, you have a nice continuum. You have, uh, you know, like you said, it's 73. Does that mean, you know, do you pass, do you fail, do you know the material? And the models, about 20 to 30 years ago, psychometricians started working on models to try to come up with different ways of giving information from the test itself. So the 73 could be replaced by a, perhaps a profile of scores, perhaps even a profile of information that informs you whether or not you've learned certain content or have not learned it. So what the newer types of models out there seek to do is to try to get as much information from a test as we possibly can. And, and it's, not, it's pretty hard to do if you think about it. A test, you know, when, when a child and a student sits down uh, and, and tries to take a test, there's only so much attention they can spend on the items of the test. So we have to sort of find ways to take that information and parcel it into informative bits and pieces. And as we've come along, as we've listened to feedback from teachers and so forth, it sounds like that total test score or that test score itself, that summative version, doesn't necessarily provide that type of information. So providing another type of uh, example, for instance, at 73, we perhaps when we look at it, that might be a test of some type of uh, unit in mathematics. If we could break that 73 down and talk about it in terms of uh, attributes or perhaps even the word skill comes to mind, different skills that the teacher had tried to teach, perhaps we could go in and say, instead of saying you've received a 73 on this test, the result of the test says that you've mastered the first three skills, but the last two you have to go back and work on. So instead of trying to understand 73 in a context of just the number and percentile and so forth, the normative basis, what we try to do is provide information as to the knowledge state of a person a little beyond that. And this is possible even with closed item tests, right, where it's like you said, where the model is actually taking each item and it's gleaning information from it and then putting it into either a profile or into a score. But this sort of insight that you're talking about can come even from a closed item test, right? Yes, that's it. Uh, the hope is so long as the, and, and the, uh, the work that Andrew did in the chapter can to test this. So long as the items are of good quality, and, and getting to that point, Andrew can talk about it. It's hard to write good quality items. But if they are, uh, and they're written with this goal in mind, where you're planning the result of the test not to be a score, but to be a profile or some type of hybrid between score and profile, then yeah, it is possible to do so. All right, so you alluded to these kind of different possibilities and people who have worked on them in mathematics education. So your chapter provides three examples, and this is really kind of the heart of the chapter, these three examples of how different models were used with respect to a certain sort of content area or certain context, and it was the context of teachers' understanding of rational number. So, um, Andrew, could you give us an overview of these three examples that you document in the chapter? Uh, sure. I, I think actually I will concentrate on the first and the third because the contrast there is the most clear. Okay. So the first example is drawn from the uh, Michigan LMT measure of uh, middle grades mathematics, which was uh, part of the uh, Learning Mathematics for Teaching project. And they have a, a conception of knowledge in which 
information about teachers' understanding of things as diverse as uh, fractions and percentages, decimals, and so forth, are all represented as a single continuous variable. So basically, um, sort of knowledge is modeled by the number line. And when they use these psychometric models to generate scores, what they're trying to do is to try to locate people uh, with precision on that number line. So the, the scores, you know, just tells you where you are in the number line. And sort of like what Jonathan was saying before, that score doesn't really tell you, it doesn't give you information about whether or not, you know, you're stronger in fractions and, and have more trouble with aspects of decimals or vice versa. The information about all this content is sort of collapsed in, into a single score. That kind of model is appropriate and useful for some kinds of research questions, but um, in our own work, we're very interested in teachers' reasoning, uh, particularly reasoning with quantities embedded in situations, and that kind of reasoning sort of has lots of different components or pieces to it, things like can you um, understand a referent unit in the problem? So if you have like a third times a half is a six, the third and the half do not refer to the same unit. That's one idea. Another idea um, that's been you know, very prevalent in research literature has to do with facility with, with partitioning quantities. Another has to do with whether or not when you look at situations, can you recognize the situation as a multiplication situation, the situation as a division situation. We were interested in tests that provided information about reasoning, um, about these different components of reasoning. And in order to do that, having a single score on a continuum wasn't going to you know, give us information about each of these components. And so the third example, we described something, uh, a test that was developed for something uh, called a diagnostic classification model. And um, the idea is that there, there's a trade-off. You give up precision locating people on a continuum um, the way that the Michigan group does. And in exchange for that, what you get is dichotomous variables. People are either masters or not masters. But what you gain for that uh, compromise is the ability to measure multiple components simultaneously in a test that is of reasonable length, so 60 to 90 minutes. And so the third example uh, demonstrates sort of this multidimensional approach the example I'm not talking about is, is, a, is sort of a hybrid. It's in between. It's got a continuous aspect similar to what's used in the LMT measures, um, and it also has a, a dimensional aspect. Um, and if readers are interested, they, they can go and work through all three examples in the chapter. So it's not like you have now four continua where, oh, we can place them with precision on four different domains of their knowledge, Instead, it goes to dichotomous, but you have dichotomous information that's specific to the kinds of mathematical knowledge that we're talking about. Right. The you accept dichotomous variables in exchange for getting multidimensionality. Gotcha. If you wanted to have multidimensionality and each of those dimensions was continuous, that's multidimensional item response theory. The models exist. Um, Jonathan can say more about this because this is his area of expertise, but uh, in order to use those models, that, um, it's very hard to make use of them in practice because of the um, the number of items that you need. It'd be like a three-day test or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean... It's extremely long. It would, it would be very difficult. Right. It just takes more information to locate people with precision. Right? And so if you try to do that on four different dimensions at the same time, you know, that means you need a lot of information 
And people can only pay attention, you know, in a testing situation for so long before they wear out. Right. So speaking about the kind of practical implications, it seems to me like there would be a lot of school districts and teachers and a lot of people in the practical arena that would like to have some of these profiles or some multidimensional, you know, perspective on students that they can get from the tests using these sorts of psychometric models. So what have you seen in terms of these kinds of models being used in practice and what would you like to see or what do you think there is that sort of untapped potential that we could pursue in the future? There are um, sort of various places where you start to see these multidimensional models um, start to make their way into practical application. And I, I do think sort of the state of the field is, you know, these models have, have been um, sort of developed in the psychometrician's equivalent of the test tube, which in this case means things like computer simulations, actually developing practical applications is sort of where the frontier for the field is, um, and some of those are, are illustrated in the monograph. One place where they are being used is the park assessments, which are being developed in conjunction with the Common Core, are going to be based on these multidimensional psychometric models called diagnostic classification models. There's a, a practical um, sort of highly visible test that people around the country will know about that's based on these models, and, that, and that's kind of a milestone. Um, there are also um, examples in the monograph where these models are being used to assess children. So you could imagine um, a public school classroom teacher who uh, had at his or her disposal a test that was designed uh, to generate multidimensional information about the particular content that was being taught, and you could use it as sort of a kind of a, a formative diagnostic, have a sense of, of strengths and weaknesses that students have at the beginning of, of an instruction unit on whatever topic, and, and that might give you an idea of uh, which, which aspects of the domain um, require particularly careful attention and which other aspects maybe most of the students um, are already reasonably well prepared in. From the psychometrician's perspective, a lot of the work that we do, again, as Andrew mentioned, is test tube. But we do feel that there is a lot of popularity that the types of information that can come from the use of these types of models. The big problem that we face is in getting them to the people who could use the information. And so as Andrew mentioned, the Park Consortium is starting to use these types of models in their formative tests, and that's a great step forward. Uh, I've done work with the Dynamic Learning Maps Alternate Assessment Consortium, and they, they are also trying to use similar types of models embedded in their standardized tests as well. But I think the bigger picture for, for me as a psychometrician is that if somebody is a consumer of information, if you're a teacher, if you're a, a school a principal, if you're a superintendent, just knowing that this type of information is possible by test and that tests don't have to be the way they are right now is really useful because you can start to demand or ask for this type of inter test that provide this information as you go forward. I feel like the in-between, the, uh, the in-between the, the science or the research side of psychometrics and then the use of psychometrics uh, is a big bottleneck caused by whatever, policy, business, uh, inertia, however you want to call it. And unfortunately, the people who are looking to try to gather as much information or to use as much information aren't quite able to do so with the way things are set up right now. My guests are Andrew Ejak from the University of Georgia and Jonathan Templin from the University of Kansas. And we've been speaking about their edited uh, monograph book from NCTM called Psychometric Methods in Mathematics Education, Opportunities, Challenges, and Interdisciplinary Collaborations. 
And as I mentioned earlier, I am hoping to have um, another author team from the book um, to represent their work here, but we've really appreciated hearing your work. I'm curious about what the two of you personally are still working on related to these ideas, but in your own research or the, the idea that you're grappling with right now in your work. So chapter one describes uh, this multidimensional test of uh, teacher's understanding of, uh, or facility would be a better way to put it, uh, with sort of the components of reasoning needed to sort of you know, take something like a word problem and reason about the quantities in the word problem to solve a fraction arithmetic task could be fraction multiplication, fraction division, whatever. We are um, in work at, at Georgia. We are um, using the measure as a pre-post uh, around content courses for pre-service middle grades teachers. We're interested in this for um, a couple of reasons. A main one is that we are inter interested in whether or not a test that is built around components of reasoning will be sensitive to growth and change in teachers' sort of facility or, or competence or proficiency uh, with fraction arithmetic after a substantial professional development experience. So uh, this is a semester-long content course, so it's you know, roughly 40 to 50 hours of instruction. So it's a significant amount of instruction, and we're interested in whether or not you can actually sort of track growth and change and what that growth and change might look like. You might have sort of a diversity of sort of students coming in the door, and they might sort of take different kinds of paths uh, through the content. That would be one kind of thing that you could look at. And, and this is, you know, for us, it's really research because using you know, these kinds of measures that are uh, sort of really about fine-grained components of reasoning as a basis for measuring teacher knowledge is new. And uh, we just don't know, you know how sensitive they might be to growth and change around sort of a content course. And so that, that's one thing that we're working on. As for myself, I've just recently uh, received funding from the National Science Foundation to try to take this type of approach of trying to get multidimensional assessment, but to Couple that with curricular design, essentially, in building kind of a, a modified version of a curriculum for uh, introductory, introductory statistics courses in college. Uh, the grant itself is with some of uh, Andrew's colleagues at the University of Georgia's Department of Statistics, but essentially we're trying to take a look at the types of curricula that are out there and to come up with, from such curricula, a, a list of, of these measures that could be used to classify, to understand what students know not only when they come into a class, but also as they progress through during a semester. The opportunity to use it in statistics is nice for me for several parts because it's, it's a language I can speak a little bit better. Uh, but it also is, uh, in university courses, a large number of undergraduates take statistics courses or sort of compelled to take statistics courses. And so how do we better uh, teach those courses? How do we understand better how students progress through them is, is what we're working on uh, in that project. Well, Andrew and Jonathan, thanks so much for speaking with us, and we look forward to the book, which uh, has been written and approved, and so we're just waiting for the publication, so we'll be looking for it eagerly this fall. Thanks again for being here. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam.
Thank you for listening to the Math Ed Podcast. If you're looking for another education and mathematics-related podcast, I recommend Scalar Learning, hosted by Josefa Capadia. I was a guest on episode 66 last week where we talked a little bit about flipped instruction and some other things related to Math Ed. So check out Scalar Learning if you're interested.